Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door, a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world with host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. China's economic rise has been mirrored by a massive buildup in its armed forces, challenging the U.S. and various Asian neighbors for supremacy of the East and South China Seas. But while China's military bristles with the latest gear and technology, it's important to remember that the last time China went to war was 40 years ago, when it invaded Vietnam as a means to punish Hanoi for its invasion and occupation of Cambodia, ruled by the Khmer Rouge at the time, a regime supported by Beijing. How would China handle a shooting war now? A thought-provoking research paper says China may want to warm up with Vietnam. We're joined by that paper's author, Derek Grossman, senior defense analyst with the RAND Corporation and former daily intelligence briefer to the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Asian Pacific Security Affairs at the Pentagon. Derek, thank you for joining The Crisis Next Door. Thanks for having me. Derek, Vietnam and China have been opposed over a number of Beijing's moves in the South China Sea. Is Vietnam simply the most convenient target for China based off of those disputes? I, I think it is. And if you go back to 1979, which, as you mentioned, is the last time China fought, fought a war and it was against Vietnam, China only or primarily used ground forces in that in that campaign. But the People's Liberation Army of today seeks to test its air and maritime warfighting capabilities. And it has not had a chance to do that. And Vietnam offers the PLA a few different um, uh, things that it would like to achieve. One is testing those warfighting capabilities. Another is fighting against a middle-sized power um, without the potential intervention of the United States. Because if you look at some of the other uh, potential uh, uh, opponents of the PLA in the region, uh, a lot of them you would expect that the U.S. would, uh, would intervene, especially those that have a security alliance such as South Korea, Japan, the Philippines, uh, even in the case of Taiwan, although there's no uh, there is no official military alliance, there is the Taiwan Relations Act that ensures that the U.S. would support Taiwan defensively in a conflict with China. So Vietnam uh, does not have any of those things, no expectation that the U.S. would intervene. And it's a very uh, winnable conflict because China has an overwhelming military superiority to to Vietnam in, in, in every aspect of air and, and naval combat, and even not just naval, but also the Coast Guard and fishing militia, which have become pretty prevalent uh, in the region over the last few years. Of course, we've seen other major powers in history look at Vietnam and think this won't be a problem. France, the U.S., even China in 1979, which had a tough time fighting the Vietnamese. It, would it really be that easy for China to overwhelm Vietnam? Would it not be taking a big chance on some sort of ground operation? Well, so now the 
the the the uh, article I wrote mainly focuses on the South China Sea uh, or the East Sea uh, from from Vietnam's perspective and the disputed territories within it. Um, a ground forces conflict. I think China has essentially learned its own lesson, even though it was trying to teach Vietnam a lesson in 1979. I think they've learned their own lesson on uh, how. Uh, um, proficient the Vietnamese are um, in terms of ground operations. But in, term, but, but in, a, in an air and a naval context, the Vietnamese have very, very little experience. Actually, I would even say no experience uh, in those domains. They don't have a doctrine, as far as we can tell, um, for coordinating such campaigns. They do not um, have the requisite training um, they have equipment. For example, for example, they've acquired six kilo class submarines from the Russians, which gives them an asymmetric advantage, uh, which helps with their anti-access area denial capabilities around some of the disputed features. Uh, a sub could easily sneak up on a Chinese frigate and sink it. But what I'm looking at is over time in a sustained conflict between China and Vietnam, China certainly has uh, many, many advantages that it can exploit. I think what the, and I've studied the Vietnamese military uh, quite a bit over the last few years, I think what the Vietnamese are, are structuring their military to achieve uh, is uh, a quick strike, kind of surprise attack, bloody nose, if you will, to get the Chinese to back down. Any kind of sustained conflict over time, they know that they're, that they're going to struggle against China to, to wage such a conflict. Do you think Vietnam is expecting this scenario to potentially play out in the near future? I, I think that um, the hope, I actually just got back from Vietnam. Uh, I was there in April. I had some really good discussions with folks on, on this issue. Um, I think the hope is that it never gets to that point. But if you go back uh, in recent history, May 2014, China emplaced uh, an oil rig in disputed waters that led to a months-long standoff. The PLA Navy um, was, was right in the but was but did not engage. But uh, China had its Coast Guard, which, by the way, is now officially part of the military as of last year, uh, and its fishing militia. To uh, They used them to kind of swarm the Vietnamese vessels that were in the area and the Coast Guard, and they actually sunk some of uh, the Vietnamese vessels um, by ramming them. Uh, and they used water cannons against, against the Vietnamese uh, vessels as well. And, so, and the Vietnamese military did not respond because there is, again, this fear that they would, be, that they would, you know, they would not be able to last against, against their Chinese counterparts. So uh, I think the hope is that it won't go that way, but, uh, but recent history demonstrates that um, things are becoming increasingly tense China has not backed down from its uh, nine-dash line claim, which basically is 80% of the South China Sea. Uh, and so things are only going in a, in a, in a bad direction. Now, Vietnam also uh, is leading the charge to get um, the 10 ASEAN countries, the Association for Southeast Asian Nations, um, to sign on to a code of conduct that would be legally binding. And China would be a part of that. But, of course, China is the, the, the big elephant in the room that, uh, that has, not, has kind of stalled on signing this code of conduct. Uh, but if they were to sign it in the next year or two, uh, then that would 
that would go a long way to holding China's feet to the fire to not do these types of oil rig things again or to do other uh, activities that would cause uh, more tension in the region. Outside of that code of conduct agreement from those nations, is Vietnam on its own here? If I'm not mistaken, they have a law regarding alliances with other nations in, in which they they don't participate in them. Is this an issue for Vietnam if China does indeed decide that this is going to be their warm-up battle? So Vietnam, you're right. Vietnam has what's called the three-nose defense policy, and that's no military alliances, no foreign troops on Vietnam, Vietnamese territory. And the third one is uh, kind of takes care of all the rest and makes it really difficult for Vietnam to do anything. And that is no working with a second country against a third. Okay. And so um, my understanding is that Vietnam has this policy in place specifically to appease the Chinese. In fact, they created it so that China would not get upset. It's a self-imposed red line. And the specific cooperation, of course, is with the United States. The concern that if Vietnam forms the kind of military alliance with the United States, it could be used against China. So Vietnam is very explicit about how it is going to remain non-aligned. But it still has that said, and I've written another article about this on the three nose defense policy. That said, there is a lot of room for yes within those three nose defense policy um, in the sense that you don't need to, Vietnam does not need to specifically name something a military alliance, uh, which, you know, in a U.S., from a U.S. perspective, brings up a lot of legal issues that if one kind if, if partners attacked then the U.S. must intervene militarily. So there's none of that, but there are um, defense relationships that Vietnam has carefully cultivated over time, including with the U.S. And so there are a number of things um, from a from a non-traditional standpoint, such as peacekeeping operations, search and rescue operations, humanitarian assistance and disaster relief operations, in which the U.S. can still impart its its military knowledge and its expertise to Vietnam and even train the Vietnamese in some aspects of that, which could then be used for more traditional military operations. So it's not to say that it's entirely impossible for Vietnam to do these things. It still does, but in a less kind of public way. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking with Derek Grossman, senior defense analyst with the Rand Corporation. As you mentioned, the U.S. has alliances with Japan and the Philippines, and that would certainly factor in uh, Beijing's calculations for who it would pick on for a potential warm-up battle. Do you think the U.S. would get more involved, as you said, when it comes to training, but perhaps even more so if it saw China coming after Vietnam, knowing what China wants in its region? Well, so I when I say that uh, in the article that Vietnam is the PLA's preferred warm-up fight, well, it's a warm-up fight to the bigger fight, the main event, which would be a Taiwan campaign or uh, or and or uh, some kind of South China Sea campaign, whether it be against the Philippines or another um, regional claimant. And so... Um, you know, obviously, the Philippines, they have they have a security alliance with the United States. So that would bring in the United States uh, and, and Secretary uh, Secretary of State Pompeo made a made a very important clarification to the mutual defense treaty a few months ago on that point. So 
that was signaling to 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 the Chinese that you 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 should expect uh, U.S. involvement. I, another example is Japan uh, and China over the Senkaku Diaoyu dispute in the uh, East China Sea. So China is now looking around, saying uh, we have to deal with these alliance issues, and also Taiwan has the Taiwan Relations Act, but. If the PLA can kind of get its grounding in the air and naval domains, it could then go back to um, the Chinese President Xi Jinping, who has said that he wants world-class military forces by 2050, and say that we are now increasingly prepared to conduct the big show, to conduct you know, a Taiwan contingency, even with U.S. military intervention. Um, and so Vietnam, you know, obviously it would, it would be sort of a more limited thing because you wouldn't have the U.S. there, presumably, right? But, um, but you could still at least test some of those capabilities that would really essentially be the same types of capabilities you'd use against Taiwan or Senkaku Diaoyu or a dispute in the South China Sea with the Philippines, like at the two island. President Xi also ordered the PLA to engage in intensive realistic combat training. Is there a limit to just how much practice will prepare a military for combat? Yeah, and I yeah, and I think that that's I think that's a big part of my argument as well that you can only you can only train so much. And I mean, I start the article off by saying that um, the PLA Air Force has been training quite a bit with their H-6K bomber flights um, going around Taiwan and also near Japan and patrolling through the South China Sea. And without the pressure of, a, of, of an actual combat situation, um, real, training under realistic conditions will not get them to the point where they, where they believe they need to be at. And they've actually talked about... Um, and even even publicly, uh, the PLA has kind of criticized itself. Um, it's always in Chinese, so we you know we translated here in the U.S. We know that it's happening. Uh, there was a great War on the Rocks article in February about this, um, and and so the shortcomings they they don't give us all the shortcomings in public, of course, but they definitely talk in generalities about how they're 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 not quite at the world class military forces level yet. Uh, and so that's why I, I got to thinking about, uh, you know, what the PLA would need to do in order to eventually get to that level. And, and, it's, and it's improving their power projection capabilities in the air and naval domains. And don't forget rocket forces as well, because the PLA rocket force was stood up uh, in the last few years. Um, and that is a major, major component of any Taiwan contingency. Uh, to knock out the runways in Taiwan, to target other uh, important installations there before doing the amphibious landing and ultimately the invasion of Taiwan. Um, so um, that th those are some of even even rocket forces could be used against some of the disputed islands that China has with Vietnam. Again, it would be a more limited type of operation, not quite uh, what you would expect with Taiwan, but it, it gives them the opportunity to test those those operations. How do you think China would fare at present if it were attempt to cross the Taiwan Straits and invade Taiwan? So, I, you know, that's really difficult to tell. Um, and it's, a, it's a great question. It's kind of the multi-million dollar question. Um, I, you know, I can say that from from my perspective, I believe that Taiwan has invested adequately in in the A2AD 
uh, architecture to deal with a PLA invasion. But one of the things that we have written about at RAND um, is that as the PLA, again, with the rocket forces, they have a number of short-range ballistic missiles uh, aimed at Taiwan, approximately 1,700. Uh, and those missiles have improved dramatically in terms of their um, ability to strike their targets. Uh, it's called circular error probability, uh, or CEP. Uh, and so they've literally gotten it down to, to meters, which is pretty good. And so runways in Taiwan essentially will be cratered the second hostilities begin. Uh, and we've conveyed this in a number of different ways to Taiwan that fixed wing aircraft will not, you know, be re not, will not necessarily be readily available in a conflict. Um, and so that's that's been of concern to, to us. Um, there there are a number of other things. That, um, that, that Taiwan, you know, would also have to worry about. I mean, they're, they're embarking on this indigenous submarine program. As we speak, they want to have, I believe it's eight submarines within the next few years. Submarines are good because they can, again, like the Vietnamese would use a kilo class, they could sneak up on Chinese surface assets and China's anti-submarine warfare capability is not really that great, although it is improving. Um, so there is kind of an advantage there, but one of the things we worry about is the expense of uh, the submarine program, uh, because Taiwan's defense budget is still um, not where it should be. We want it. We want to get it over three percent of GDP per year. Uh, it's approached that, and it is rising, but it's not. It's not quite where where it should be. So we do kind of worry um, about, you know, the overall uh, defense expenditures and, and trying to improve that and also to do it smartly, to invest more in anti-ship cruise missiles, to invest more in sea mines, kind of cheaper ways of, of creating the same type of A2AD uh, arrangement to make it really, really difficult for China to invade. I mean, basically what you want to do is convince Beijing that today is not the day and you want to do that every day that today is not the day. That's that's how you deter. And that's what we're hoping um, to do. Even though the U.S. doesn't have a formal defense agreement with Taiwan, would you expect Washington to intervene? I mean, I you know, the, again, another another very difficult question. There, there has been a policy of essentially strategic ambiguity on that question. Um, in, in my view, I think U.S.-Taiwan relations have grown dramatically closer in the last few years. And I, I mean, it's hard to get any kind of legislation passed in Congress these days. And yet Taiwan legislation, and there have been a number of bills, has had bipartisan support and has been signed off by the president. Uh, and, you know, all of these bills talk about the need to improve U.S.-Taiwan bilateral relations overall, but specifically the defense component of the bilateral relationship. So to me, I mean, that that signals that the U.S. is kind of going all in on um, on its ties with Taiwan. So I would expect an, uh, U.S. intervention. Yes. China has certainly proven its economic clout. Militarily speaking, we don't quite know what to make of that. Do you think Beijing is itching to prove what it's able to do to the rest of the world? Well, I, I now I make it very clear in the article that the PLA, I don't believe the PLA has any measure of control over Xi Jinping's decision making on this. Um, and of course, it, you know, it, 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 
I'm not looking at like a war of choice here either. It would have to be over a real conflict. And China does have real conflict with Vietnam and the South China Sea. Um, and, and so what I tried to point out uh, in maybe a slightly provocative uh, but thought-provoking way is to is that the, is that the PLA, uh, again, wants to test these capabilities and is looking for the opportunity to do so without without getting mired into a conflict that it is just is just unprepared to deal with. Uh, and Taiwan still could be that conflict. Uh, Japan, Senkaku, Diaoyu could still be that conflict. So they, they want to try to get their sea legs before they before they do anything too over the top. Uh, and so and, 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 and to your question about do they want to prove something to the rest of the world, I think there may be an element of that as well. Because as you let off with, I mean, the last time they, they fought a war was, was in 1979. Forty years is a really, really long time by any, by any measure, but especially in the military domain. Uh, and they have, the PLA modernization has come a long way, but it's difficult to kind of demonstrate its prowess without demonstrating it. So that's what I sought to, uh, to explain in the piece. Will be very interesting to see China's next move. A fascinating article, Derek. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Crisis Next Door. Thanks, Jason. Talk to you soon. We've been talking with Derek Grossman, senior defense analyst with the Rand Corporation. Thanks for listening to the Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 